0: Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick
1: Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Glad you can join us. The New York Auto Show is underway this week, and last week at the Media Preview, several automakers introduced new or revamped versions of some of their more popular models. You expect car companies to introduce new models at a major show like the one in New York. What you might not expect is that some made major changes to their cars after only three or four years. Usually, they go five or six years between significant upgrades. Among those were the Toyota Camry and the Hyundai Sonata, two of the top-selling midsize sedans. The Camry is the best-selling passenger car, has been for 12 years. Why restyle a car that is selling so well? And because America can't seem to get enough SUVs, more are on the way. This time, though, they're pint-sized SUVs instead of king-sized like they used to be. Will consumers embrace these new, much smaller SUVs? To answer those and other questions, my guest today will be David Thomas, Managing Editor of Auto Information site Cars.com, and Mike Hanley, an editor and member of the Cars.com staff. But before we start spreading the news about the New York Auto Show, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. On our February 13th show, we discussed autonomous cars, the vehicles of the future, that will be able to drive themselves and will have automated safety systems that could greatly reduce the number of auto accidents, injuries, and deaths. The road to that brave new world, however, may not be entirely smooth. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has opened a preliminary investigation into whether the automatic braking system on a 2014 Chevrolet Impala caused an accident when it deployed unexpectedly at 40 miles per hour. According to the owner of the car, the forward collision warning system on his Impala activated and beeped, even though no one was immediately ahead of him, and then the automatic emergency braking system kicked in and stopped the car. That, the owner claims, caused his car to be rear-ended by the vehicle behind him. No one was hurt, and this is the only such incident involving the 2014 Impala so far several other manufacturers also offer automatic braking systems and other accident avoidance systems there are bound to be more such incidents involving these features in the years ahead you can listen to a replay of our february 13th show on autonomous cars here on talkzone.com throughout april i have been encouraging everyone to read their owner's manual in celebration of Read Your Owner's Manual Month. After talking to friends and neighbors and checking some Internet forums, I found people who actually have looked inside their owner's manual and benefited from the experience. One friend, for example, said no thanks to having a dealer install a new cabin air filter in his 2009 Camry for $68, tax not included. Instead, he saw in his owner's manual that the filter was located behind the glove box, and a no-brainer to change himself. Total cost, $20.20. A North Carolina Mini Cooper owner reports that he was happy to read in his owner's manual that although premium gas is highly recommended for his 2010 Mini Countryman, he could use mid-grade 89 octane gas and save a few cents per gallon. This is after a service advisor at a Mini dealership insisted he could use only 91 octane or higher premium gas. And recently, my wife was on her way home from an evening business meeting with a colleague, who was also a neighbor. She hit a crater-sized pothole on an expressway and got a flat tire. After they waited more than an hour for a service truck to put the spare on the car, our neighbor decided to do it himself, in the rain. First, though, he looked in the owner's manual to find out where to put the jack because he didn't want to damage my car. He confessed that a couple of years earlier he changed a flat tire on his minivan without looking in the owner's manual, and he realized he was jacking up from the wrong spot when he heard the crunching sound of metal bending. Thank you, Rich Shell, for cha- reading the owner's manual before you changed the tire on my car and for helping my wife get home safely that night. You can learn all kinds of valuable information by reading your owner's manual from how to reset the clocks that you're finally on daylight savings time, to what that yellow warning light means and how often you should get your oil changed. And if you insist on reading everything electronically, most owner's manuals are available online in PDF form through the manufacturer's website. Some may even have accompanying videos. Become a smarter owner. Read your owner's manual or at least glance at the quick start guide that comes with most vehicles you might be surprised by what you will learn. The preceding announcement was brought to you as a public service by the Read Your Owner's Manual Foundation. Dedicated to the proposition that when all else fails, you should read the instructions that came with your car. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. The New York Auto Show is going on this week, and several significant new and redesigned vehicles are being shown there. New York show is one of the most important in the U.S., and this year it had more significant introductions than usual. Among the new vehicles there were fresh versions of the Toyota Camry and Hyundai Sonata sedans, the Subaru Outback SUV, and the Ford Focus. And Honda introduced a new subcompact SUV called the HRV. Not only were several new models unveiled in New York, but some were restyled or mechanically revamped on a faster timetable than is typical for the auto industry. Joining me by phone to talk about all this are David Thomas, Managing Editor of Auto Information Site Cars.com, and Mike Hanley, a member of the Cars.com editorial team. David and Mike were at the New York Show last week, and were able to get up close and personal with all the new models on display. Welcome to the show, gentlemen.
2: Thanks, Rick. Yeah, thanks for having us, Rick.
1: Glad to have you two on. And, uh, you know, among the several new models at the the show last year, I, uh, at New York show last week, I was kind of surprised that cars such as the um, Camry and the Hyundai were were changed, you know, significantly uh, modified on an earlier schedule than usual. Like I said, it's usually five or six years. And this time it's three or four years. What's going on in the industry to make create this new sense of urgency?
0: Um, Well, I think there's definitely uh, competition uh, to worry about, especially in a class uh, like the midsize sedan, which is one of the best-selling classes of cars out there. The Sonata wasn't as much a surprise. You know, four years is a decent amount of time, and Hyundai's been known to to turn things around um, in a time frame like that. Toyota, on the other hand, is probably one of the automakers that takes the longest uh, between uh, model changes, uh, mainly because their cars sell so well, so they don't see a need to update a Camry uh, as rapidly as, as a Hyundai would see with a Sonata, which is um, not not as big a player in the segment. So the Camry was definitely the surprise that they would uh, change it that significantly, especially in terms of uh, design. It wasn't a simple uh, bumper change or a taillight change. It was a pretty radical design uh, ref- uh, Freestyle.
1: Right. Uh, t- typically, on a five year product cycle in a Car Electric like Camry, after three years, they'll change the front and rear styling. They call them end caps, I think, is, is the term. And you get new headlights and grill and lights, things like that. But, Mike Hanley, how extensive were the changes on the 2015 Camry?
2: They were pretty extensive, and I think it's a reaction to uh, the competition Dave is talking about in the class, especially competition in terms of design. It's really um, turning into more of a, del- a segment that's influenced by design. We've seen it in models, new models like the Ford Fusion and redesigned Mazda 6 that are taking more risk with styling, and they're gaining market share faster um, faster than the Camry's been adding it. So the, I think they're reacting to that with this new car, which is really significant. Um, it has a whole new um, look to it, especially up front where it's kind of adopted some of the cues we've seen with Lexus, which is also taking a more aggressive approach with styling Toyota's luxury brand.
1: I think uh, the uh, chairman of Toyota, uh, Akio Toyotas, the grandson of the founder, has kind of decreed that there won't be any more boring uh, boring cars from Toyota, and I think the uh, the new Camry reflects that philosophy, correct?
2: Yeah, I think that's it. Um, the interior didn't change a lot. That was um something that was held over, but uh yeah, from a design standpoint trying to get cars that make a bigger statement is uh they're trying to get that to come through.
1: Now the 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 2015 Camry has a this big gaping grill. In
2: mm-hmm.
1: photographs, some photographs, I think it looks actually ugly. Um, am I uh what do you think?
2: I think it it depends on the trim and the colors around it. It was pretty pretty noticeable on the new sport trim level they had on display with that gaping black uh, opening. Um, But on on different trim levels, it's a little more toned down, not quite as um, extreme in the design. So I think it's going to depend on which models people choose.
3: Yeah.
0: I mean, Toyota's done it with the, uh, the Corolla that was redesigned last year which was a really cohesive design, and then the Highlander has a similar type look as well, and it, that's pretty cohesive. The Avalon has has a pretty radical look for a large sedan. And the Camry, it's, it's interesting since it's such a big seller, it probably looks the least cohesive of, of all of them in terms of adding this this grill, this larger grill to the front. Um, I, I totally agree. It, I don't think it looks up in person, um, but it's... Uh, it it doesn't work quite as well as the others in my
1: opinion. Hmm. Now uh, uh traditionally uh Toyota in general has been conservative with its styling, but with you know, the camera being the best selling passenger car I think is for twelve years, they really were conservative with that car. And yet now they're sticking their neck out a little bit, it seems.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely a a departure for them in that regard. And Kind of the to touch on what I'd mentioned earlier that some of the newer competitors their their sales are up notably when Toyotas are kind of up just a little bit in this market where everyone has been adding sales for a bit. So I think they're seeing that and I think they know that it's not just about reliability anymore because everyone has moved up like where they've been known to have a strong suit in the past that Now they also have to kind of compete on different fronts too.
1: We're talking with David Thomas and Mike Hanley of uh, Cars.com about some of the revamped models uh, shown at the New York Auto Show, including the Toyota Camry. And one of the things before the show I looked at at sales for midsize uh, cars so far this year, it was just the first three months of the year, but Camry sales are actually off 6.5%. Sonata sales are down 15%. Uh, the Honda Accord, which was new for 2013, yes, correct? Yep. Down yep. 10%. Um, and the only uh, major midsize sedans that, whose sales are up so far this year are the Nissan Altima and, as you mentioned, the Mazda 6. And both of those, I think, have a lot of style to them.
3: Mm-hmm. So it's, Yeah. The, oh,
0: this is one of those things where you listen to, <laughs> to a lot of business news where it actually applies to Auto industry, too. The first three months of the year were also extremely cold. So, a lot of the sales that were booming um, in the first three months of the year were were SUV sales. We saw that um, not just on sales numbers, but through research on cars.com. You know, the top red reviews were all SUVs and and all-wheel drive type vehicles. So, I think looking at those first three months probably isn't the best gauge, Uh but I think it's it's not, I don't think it's incorrect either. I think those models um, were definitely. Camry and Sonata were definitely lagging. I think Camry is um, a little bit more surprising than Sonata. Sonata was old. I mean, at four years. It's it's going to start showing some age. Um, Ultima, I think, does have quite a you know was redesigned a year or two ago. I can't remember um, how long ago. Um, which is kind of a it's a safe styling um, from them, especially compared to the Murano we just saw in New York. Um, but also, I think they play a lot with the incentives. And then the Mazda 6, um, the sales might be up percentage-wise, but we're, we're kind of shocked that as good of a car as that is and as good-looking a car that it is, um, it is not gaining the market share. It, it should be gaining. And that was true the last generation of Mazda 6. We felt exactly the same about that one, too, at the time. So uh, Mazda, I, I, we, I, I'm just not quite sure where they're at with it. But, um, yeah, it's a really interesting and compelling segment right now for people in the industry to look at.
1: Uh, I, I, uh, the Mazda 6, I think, is up something like 17 percent. But through the first three months, they sold 13,000 of them. You know, and, and Toyota sold about 95,000 Camry. So, yes, it is a uh, still a small player, and that's I guess it's hard for a small company like Mazda to move the needle. But we have to pause for a break here. Uh, but when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with David Thomas and Mike Hanley of Cars.com but some of the significant new vehicles introduced at the New York Auto Show.
0: Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com.
2: Here's Rick Popley.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're talking about some of the new models introduced at the New York Auto Show, which is going on this week, and how car companies have accelerated the pace of making major changes to their vehicles. My guests today are David Thomas and Mike Hanley of Cars.com. Both were at the New York Show last week and are sharing some of what they learned about these new models. Mike, before the break, we were talking about the uh, the revamp of the Toyota Camry, which 2015 is mainly uh, cosmetic, but prior to that, I think they call it actually a 2014 and a half model. They made some structural and safety improvements to score better in crash tests. Other than that, are there any mechanical differences on the 2015 Camry, or is it going to be the same driving experience?
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's more of a carryover model um, than than just kind of from a styling standpoint in terms of the changes that were. There were the big things that come out of it. So um, we'll have to see how it drives. If it drives any differently than uh, than uh, kind of how the how the prior one did.
1: Okay. And and what about the Hyundai Sonata, also restyled for 2015? Are the changes mostly cosmetic? Or are they more substantive?
2: No. That's a. This is a car that gets uh, more of a complete redesign. Um, like David mentioned, it's it's been on the market uh, now. Uh, for a while and it was due for due for a redesign and it gets one but it but it kind of follows a little different path than the camry did and that it's kind of an evolution mm-hmm. of the styling direction that the prior uh, prior sonata had it's a little more mature not quite as daring as the prior car but hyundai says they're comfortable with refining their design approach um that they've used in the um, Sonata with this with this new one. Um, the interior is all new and it, it's very nice, and it incorporates um, a lot of new technology features that we're seeing kind of spread spread throughout the class. Um, one of them being uh, Apple's new CarPlay technology that will allow you to mirror your some of the features of your iPhone on the dashboard screen. So that's going to be available in the new Sonata.
1: David uh, Thomas, uh, the the new Camry is edgier, has edgier looks, but the Sonata seems more conservative. They're they're switching roles here, aren't they?
0: Um, well, it's all styling's really um, one of those things that's tough to just say is definitive one is you know more daring than the other. It's not in person when you're standing next to it. Um, the design in a photo might not. that but in person it's a very it has a lot of presence it is it, it has I don't know a lot of bulk to it
3: mm-hmm. um,
1: Do you think most people recognize it as a Sonata?
0: No, you would. I mean, and as long as they recognize it as a Hyundai, I think they're uh. fine. Um, but, yeah, I don't think the Sonata has that um, that name recognition, certainly not with the styling, um, you know, where someone's going to say, oh, you know, just know that off the top of their head. Um, they're just going to say, oh, there's, there's the Hyundai sedan. I should go check it out, which is, you know, <laughs> I guess that's. That's all you really need these days in the age of the Internet.
1: <laughs> what about the uh, the Ford Focus and Nissan Versa? Both both of those are kind of uh, restyled, I think, for 2015. Is it important stuff or just window dressing here on those cars? Well,
2: with the um, Focus... Yeah, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. Dave. Um, with the Focus, they, they kind of took the approach... Um, Took some of the fusion styling, which was very re- well-received from their midsize sedan, and brought it down to the compact focus in terms of the new front grille, uh, which kind of follows that Aston Martin-ish type grille design that's been, that's been popular. But it also introduces kind of some significant technology. The first time that um, the Focus is going to get uh, Ford's uh, three-cylinder engine in the U.S. So it's a fuel economy... Move on that part to kind of get better mileage out of that car. Um, and on the Versa side, I think it's mostly a minor update uh, with some new features to make the interior a little nicer um, and uh, kind of improve it on that front.
1: What the Versa was new for 2012 or
2: 2013? Yeah, I don't remember the year offhand. It was it was I think 13. Yeah, hmm. It comes 13 for the sedan, or, or I'm sorry for the Yeah, for the sedan.
0: For the sedan, yeah. And the Versa one is its an interesting one. Um, They probably didn't need to make too many changes to it because of the price. It is the cheapest car in the country and sells well because it is the cheapest car in the country. Um, I think this is one of those cases of um, they want to say it's new, and they address stuff that a lot of automotive journalists pointed out that they didn't like, Maybe, maybe they're hoping that the review of the 15 journalists will say, I'm not saying we're going to say this, but that their hope would be a journalist would
1: for 2013 they uh, made significant changes to the interior and even to the structure was uh, uh, I thought I saw Ford refer to the uh, 2015 Focus as a redesign is it really
3: Not yeah how... that's
0: what they call redesign and restyled and refreshed and and all those terms we take it obviously more seriously you know, that a consumer or a shopper would. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and automakers are sometimes more liberal with it, <laughs> you know. But with the way the platforms and chassis um, are developed and how long those live, um, because they're they are done so well these days, the, the, the amount of times that those will be changed are going to be so long, I, I would almost feel bad for an automaker to think you have to change that <laughs> type of uh that, that type of uh, significant thing to to be able to say yes this is finally a redesign because sometimes you know it, if, if the interior is new and the exterior is new and um, there's a new engine choice that that should be that would probably be a redesign in most consumers mind the focus kind of straddles that a little bit because the interior is not changed that significantly mm-hmm. um, and, and the outside is, is changed somewhat significantly and there's one new engine type <laughs> so you know Personally, I'll, I'll give them a pass. Call it a redesign. You look at the verse that, you know, they're going to say all new probably in a right. commercial. But no, I wouldn't call that a redesign um, at all. Uh, same with the Jetta, which, um, you know, got very minor uh, styling changes, you know, but they'll probably call that all new in a commercial too.
1: Right. Well, everything's all new, including the car that's been out there for seven years. No, there right. are. I don't even think there are any today uh, anymore. We're, we're talking with David Thomas and Mike Hanley of Cars. dot com, and 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 both of you um, mentioned previously that uh, there's a lot of competition that is is encouraging automakers to make changes more often, you know, refresh their vehicles. Yet, being new or fresh doesn't guarantee success. And you can look at some of the new models for 2014. Such as the Chevrolet Impala and uh, the Silverado pickup, the Mazda 3, and the Toyota Corolla, and the sales are down for all those, even though they're all truly redesigned. Mm-hmm. What about okay. that, David? Um,
0: yeah, some of this execution of the of the redesign, some of it is is other factors. I, you know, the truck world is is, is a different world um, and relies very heavily on incentives. So when an outgoing model like like Silverado is going out the door and being replaced, the incentives are so high um, that they're selling them because businesses are buying them for that reason. Like a business owner won't care that the new one's coming down the line if you can save ten grand on the new truck, you know, to replace. So the truck world, you know, you you can give them a little bit of a pass there, maybe. Um, And then the other ones, like something like the Mazda three. and I, we, we've noticed this before at Cars.com that um, if you don't price a car competitively with the features that people are looking for, the styling, mileage, driving experience sometimes won't even uh, you know break the, the car shopper's radar, especially in a class like compact cars. Mm. Um, same with like the Corolla. Where the design was really good did not execute on the driving experience. We we had it in a in a comparison with a uh, test with the whole the whole class at the time. The Mazda 3 wasn't wasn't ready at that time, but everything else, and it was the new. I think it was the newest player at the time, and it didn't finish well. Um, and that was because it just didn't drive as well as the other ones, and it didn't you know pack the same features and didn't have the same feel to them to it as the others. So out all new and it just wasn't at the top of the class and it was all new. And for the most part when you redesign a car and it's the newest, it should be at the top of the class just because you had the, the time to make it all new, right? You had the right, latest right. Stuff, stuff, stuff going on in that car. And the Mazda 3 probably is one of the best executed, you know, and it's all new and it would probably, if it had been in the competition at the time, would probably have scored really well but it's expensive. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when someone's shopping for a $20,000 or less car um, and certain features, Mazda 3 might not come up. Um, and they also launched it with the most expensive versions, um, the hatchbacks with you know certain engines and not the most efficient engines, so you couldn't get those right away. And it took a long time, and, and they're one of the few that are still getting cars from Japan. So it takes them much longer to get those cars in a circulation, which can also impact sales. Um, but like we said, the Mazda 6, which has been out for a long time in comparison, those factors should not impact those sales, and they're down, and, and they're not as successful as they should be in our minds either.
1: Right. The uh, the Mazda 3 uh, got not only good reviews; uh, it was, I believe, a finalist for North American Car of the Year. But uh, that's a good point about it being built in Japan: is that that still carries somewhat of a uh, penalty on the exchange rate uh, between. Japanese yen and the US dollar. We have to take another break here and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mike Hanley and David Thomas of Cars.com on the new models introduced at the New York Auto Show.
0: Now more cars, trucks, and bucks. On TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley.
1: Welcome back everyone. Today we're talking about all the new hardware on display at the New York Auto Show, which is going on this week and why car companies are making major changes to their vehicles sooner than usual. My guests today are David Thomas and Mike Hanley of Cars.com. It's a comprehensive information site that can help you research, shop, and buy a new or used vehicle. David is the Managing Editor of Cars.com, and Mike is a member of the editorial staff who reviews vehicles and reports on auto industry news. If you have a question or comment, call us at 888-463-6748. Again, that is 888-463-6748. Before the break, Mike, um, you mentioned, I think, early in the show that because of the harsh winter weather that encouraged more uh suv sales and maybe at the expense of some passenger car sales and through the first three months of this year passenger car sales are down four percent but truck sales which includes suvs pickups vans and other things they're up seven percent do you think that might come in closer balance later in the year
2: i think it could i mean i think as we get in um, to later uh, months in the year, there will be uh, a little more interest in cars that don't offer four-wheel drive or some type of all-wheel drive system, which we had seen early on in the year mm-hmm. that those that those ones were hard to come by and in parts of the country that were in the deep freeze and had lots of snow on the ground. So um, I think that'll come around. I mean, I think though, I mean, we've just we've really just seen trucks especially models like the f-150 though on a really strong run lately um in terms of just really hitting some strong numbers um for the um, for the relative past few years so that that'll probably continue though as um economic conditions if they continue on a steady steady um path upward um, because uh, a lot of that drives truck sales
1: right the uh uh SUV sales uh, have sl- the increase in SUV sales has slowed, but they continue to grow. And uh David the the small SUV segment seems to be the latest frontier and at the New York Show there are two new models, the uh Honda HRV, which I believe is related to the fit subcompact car. Well there's a third one, Jeep Renegade, and then the Chevrolet Trax. What about these? What are the chances of success for these Small SUVs.
0: Well, it it really depends on. I think to me, it, it's really the pricing on all of them, and we haven't seen pricing on any of them mm. at this stage. And that will that will be really interesting because the very small SUV um, segment doesn't really exist currently um, as a segment. There are a few, like the Buick Encore, which the Chevy is based on, not. It's doing okay, but it's hard to gauge because it's a Buick, and you know who knows. And then the <laughs> one that you know, and then um, you know the the Jeep, and and if you look at Fiat, the 500L, the larger um, Fiat that's out there isn't selling well at all. Um, and and then uh, what is the other one I was trying to think of? I, I forget. But oh, well, the really interesting one is if you consider the Kia Soul in this segment, because the Kia Soul's been extremely successful for Kia. And it has an SUV configuration and layout, but not uh, all-wheel drive, right. um, and, and things like that. And it's been really successful again because it's super cheap, lots of features for the money. So where these these new small SUVs come in on the price and feature level is going to, I think, explain their success right away. Um, and, and they don't you don't have a lot of playroom there because you get into the compact segment of SUVs, the CRV, the RAV4, the Jeep Cherokee, all these guys, for around 23, 22 to 24 thousand dollars. So, be, these players better be under twenty thousand dollars to start, at least. And they better have some good features, because once you add all-wheel drive to them, um, which I believe all three will will have available, the price is going to go up to one or two thousand dollars to start. So, um, the pricing really important for them. Um, because you're really not going to get a ton of utility out of these SUVs. It's it's mostly like the Kia Soul, where you're getting like an upright seating position and the ability to fold down the rear seats, you know, for for an expanded cargo area. But, um, you know, you're going to fit more in the trunk of a Ford Focus than a lot of these cargo areas seats up.
1: Right. Um, I drove a uh, Nissan Juke, which is uh, one of those subcompact, Sort of SUVs that, uh, a few years back, and I was pretty rather puzzled by it, because as you mentioned, it really doesn't have that much room, and there is a mileage penalty from the weight, extra weight of all-wheel drive, and and a price penalty too. So I mean, I see your point on the price has to be right for these things.
3: Yeah, that that
0: that in the segment, and it, I just don't think it was that one's not executed. For the, the mainstream buyer, it, it was much more of a sporty type, you know, enthusiast they are going after.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and it did not sell well. It does not sell well um, at all because of the things you mentioned. It's really tight inside, much tighter than what these, these new ones will be. Um, it doesn't have, like, the roof line that these will have. It's um, to, to have that extra headroom and, and space inside that, I mean, you get in that juke, It, it is tight. Yes, <laughs> it is, yeah. It is, a, it is a confined area. So I, I don't think these will have those the issues of the Juke. It's just um, it, it's I don't think any of them are slam dunks. We're really gonna have to see how the market uh, responds.
1: We're talking with Mike Hanley and David Thomas of Cars.com about some of the new vehicles introduced at the New York Auto Show. And Mike, of those three new subcompact SUVs, the the Honda HRV and Jeep Renegade and Chevrolet Trax, did anything stand out about any of those three?
2: Well, the new Renegade exterior styling, I thought, was like a great interpretation of kind of classic, boxy Jeep looks on a really small platform. Um, Unfortunately, I thought the interior was just kind of a real letdown after seeing it on the outside, because it's it's based on the platform that uh, underpins the Fiat 500L, and um, you can see that on the inside. It's kind of a mishmash of some jeep cues they tried to apply to a fiat design and it, it, it just kind of falls down but hmm. but the exterior um was really sharp the the hrv's um kind of interesting in that um like as as the crv honda's compact suv is kind of got bigger with each redesign as kind of tends to be the case with a lot of models that get uh, redesigned over over time you know it, it kind of opens up opens up this new segment of a small model um for them again now that the crv's mm. grown a little bit um the track you know it, it it's related to the related to the buick encore the other kind of pint-sized uh compact and um gm's gm's lineup right now and it and it's like you're um you know like uh, was mentioned it's 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 tight inside i mean in terms of um passenger space and uh you know how much utility these are going to offer which is kind of the point of suvs to begin with a little bit so they do have to they do have to find that find that right blend of the right price the right buyers willing to you know move up to this type of vehicle
1: now you haven't had a chance to drive any of these correct
2: nope none of these yet
1: no Okay, so you uh, is the proof of the pudding, I guess. When you finally, get yeah. You know,
0: sh- well, sometimes we find that um, you know, car shoppers today, the drive experience, believe it or not, isn't their primary concern. Even though really, a lot of, a lot of automotive journalists would would question why that would be, but um, you know, it, it, unless they're horrible to drive, it, that typically doesn't impact the sale. Um, you know, we've seen very few examples of, well, hey, most cars aren't horrible to drive. Mm-hmm. So it, it really comes down to, it, at this phase, you know, if you're talking sports fans, it's a different story, but in these types of segments, these these mainstream mass um, quantity uh, vehicles, that the driving experience really isn't top concern. It's, it's really the package that you get with the car uh, and the type of features and the mileage and, and basically, the, you know, what you're paying every month. Um, and then it you obviously have to like it on the test drive, but it's, for a shopper who hasn't bought a car in five to six years, um, you know they're usually going to be pleased by the test drive from whatever they're in.
1: It's bound to be an improvement. Right. What, what, uh, there's also a uh, uh, other couple of other SUVs introduced in New York, the Nissan Murano and the Outback. Any anything significant with those uh, new versions?
0: Um, yeah, we <laughs> there's there's something significant about both. One, the Murano is. Um, probably one of the most outrageously styled production vehicle uh, mm-hmm. we've seen in, in a long time. And, and the last generation of the Murano is also pretty radically styled. Um, and, you know, it's uh, for, for a car company where the Versa, Sentra, and Altima, and Pathfinder, and most of their cars are very bland for safe and styling, the Murano is not. Um, you, you know, it, it's one of those, I wouldn't even call it love it or hate it, because I don't think it's really polarizing, but it, it's outrageous, and it's going to stand out. And it's a segment where sales, you know, aren't booming, this mid-sized SUV. Mm-hmm. Um, the big player in that market is the Jeep um, Grand Cherokee, and it it dominates that market. And there's a Ford Edge, and there's, you know, the Murano, and they do okay, but they don't come close to the Grand Cherokee. So it's not like that mid size sedan segment we were talking about where they're really fighting it out and, market share from one another. There's one dominant player in that segment and you know Nissan's trying to make a statement to kind of buck into it, um, which I think they need to do. And so you got to give them. They sure did. Um, and it's a segment where the buyers spend a little bit more money um, and the Murata's very uh, upscale inside, um, as the last generation was too at the time. Um, lots of really interesting little things going on in that, in that be inside the center console just
1: We have to pause for uh, one more break here. When we come back, I want to talk about your recent $40,000 SUV challenge uh, and the results of that. So we'll be back soon with David Thomas and Mike Hanley of Cars.com. Please stay with us.
0: This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley.
1: Welcome back, everyone. My guests today are David Thomas and Mike Hanley of auto information site Cars.com. David and Mike were at the New York Auto Show last week, and we've been talking about some of the new models introduced there and how things things are the, the pace of change in the auto industry has picked up speed. And Mike, another topic I wanted to talk about is the, uh, the comparison test that cars.com does. You do, uh, do these periodically throughout the years. And I think that's one of the more valuable pieces of information you provide for your users. And that is you take a, a group of similar vehicles, competing vehicles, five or six of them and put them head to head in a competition to see who, see who's the best. Three years ago or two years ago, uh The Honda pilot won what you called the thirty seven thousand dollar s u v shootout, and the pilot was cars dot com's twenty twelve family car of the year Recently, you did a forty thousand dollar s u v challenge for those that have three rows of seats and the um the pilot finished well down the list. What happened to that vehicle in the last two three years
2: well the the competition has really improved um in terms of what the pilot's up against now. Because mm. in our test, um, where we do set a hard uh, price maximum, in this case, $40,000, uh, we had um, the Hyundai Santa Fe, uh, the Dodge Durango, um, the, and the Toyota Highlander were all in front of it. And they were all newer than the pilot. The pilot mm. was now one of the oldest oldest um, models and designs in the, in the test and it, and it showed to the, um, testers in a number of ways in terms of how, how it fared in terms of, uh, the interior was, you know, one area where they, where they came down on it pretty hard in, in terms of just how it, it's been outclassed by, by, by newer competitors. So it's, it's kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier about the competition and the mid-sized uh, midsize sedan class um, heating up. It's 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 also happening, you know, in other parts of the market too. And we saw it here in three row crossovers. What were
1: some of the uh, other areas where the pilot fell behind some of the rivals?
2: I mean, in terms of um, what the judges came down on, the one big thing was the uh, was the cabin, but also in terms of you know, uh, complicated um, kind of interfaces and. Uh, so also how how kind of noisy it was on the road too. Mm. So so it's it's a lot of things from um, the perception of the testers and also the I mean the real world family that that's also a part of these. It's not just um, people that do this for a living test cars. We we always try and get uh, get an in market um, family who's you know thinking about someone like thinking about actually buying one of these types of vehicles.
1: You know, uh, uh, back in January, uh, Patrick Olson, the, uh, uh, editor of cars.com was on the show and he said that one of the, uh, benefits or, or values of, uh, having the, uh, consumers as part of these comparison tests is that he sees that while they may not have put a Hyundai on at the top of their list prior, once they are exposed to it, they might, you know, ahead of a Toyota or a Honda. And I think in this, Forty thousand dollar SUV challenge. The winner was the Santa Fe, correct?
2: Yep, yep. The Santa Fe uh, was the was the one that came in, and it, and it came in. I mean, kind of partly for a reason. A lot of Hyundai's do is that it's just. I mean, it was just packed with features for the money, mm-hmm. um, especially compared to um, some of the other ones, like the Traverse, the Chevrolet Traverse, which was, you know, at the at the end uh, in last place in this test. It was. It was one that really, you know, that really skimped on features, and um, it makes a big deal. I mean, if you're, if you have, you know, your monthly payment you're looking at, and this is what I can get in this model, or I can get all this other stuff in another model, it's, it's a big, pretty, um, pretty important consideration. David, yeah, and that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and that that is why
0: we we put that price cap on because I think. You know, if listeners are familiar with, you know, mag- car magazines and they've seen these tests and everything, they have this wide variety of, even though it's the same segment of these of the prices and the features that they might have. And, you know, we're a car shopping site. People come to the site to research that purchase. It's not just for the guys that like to read about cars for mm-hmm. fun. So we, we know that the number one consideration for everyone is price, um, even if you're looking at a $40,000 SUV, which might sound like a very expensive vehicle to a lot of people. Um, so, when these automakers have to provide that vehicle at that price, they have to make some really hard choices of features, options, trim levels, all those things, um, you know, to put into that contest. And so, it, it, it really shows that an automaker like Hyundai and and Kia, they have an advantage because they price their vehicles really well with both standard equipment and their trim packages and and certain things. So, yeah. Um, I would say at almost every every single um, challenge we've done, that price and features for the money has always helped the vehicles that mm. deliver on it. Even in our luxury sedan one, we had a Volvo S60. This is against like, the BMW 3 Series and all these other cars. And the the family we had, the, the shoppers that were in the market for a car, never knew that car existed, kind of like the Hyundai and, and this one. Um and they were blown away by how much it had for the money. And it, it was a little bit below the other players' that price and, um, and still had a lot of the features the other ones had. So even at that level, it is a factor, and it's, it's a big one.
1: The, uh, one of the dirty little, little secrets of automotive journalism is that uh, many of the test vehicles that we as journalists are provided are loaded with every available feature. And you say, wow, this is a great car. But, uh, I'll give you an example. So I, you know, drove a, uh, Kia Forte compact sedan recently that was $25,000, you know, and, and that's midsize <laughs> price to me, you know, so I, I, you know, I didn't think it was reflective of what most people would buy. So I see your, your point on setting a price limit, uh, does, does factor into this. David, does the uh, the current trend that we've been talking about for making more changes to vehicles more often put added pressure on smaller automakers such as Subaru and Mazda and and, and Mitsubishi?
3: Um,
0: I, I, I guess. I mean,
1: do, do they have the resources to keep up? I guess is what.
0: Well, theoretically, if you're able to have an assembly line to mass produce cars at any level, you should have the same. Ability to make changes at the same rate, you would think. Um, you know, it's the, the but, but do they
1: have the money yeah, to do the, it? That's, that's, well, I the think.
0: Scale the scale really shouldn't impact this factor as much, you wouldn't think. Um, you know, they should, you, you would think those car makers already have to rely on their ingenuity to begin with. So, um, but for the most part, they don't change quite as much. Subaru is probably one of the ones that, that is at this, you know, faster pace of turnaround. Um, and they're not perfect. I mean, you know, they have certain flaws and some of the worst entertainment systems we've, we see in the market today is, you know, are in Subaru's, but um, they they know their niche, and I think a lot of the problems that the Mazdas of the world who build really, you know, good cars, um, is it, just the niche, they just haven't nailed it, you know, and it's a, it's a fickle, um, you know, consumer market in the U.S., um, and you could point to a lot of automakers a Jaguar you know there's lots of you know bit players that are making really great cool cars and just can't bust in and, and just you know they could make the best car ever and people are just passing them by so it's it's really um you know there's so many factors at play in terms of the marketing and and the pricing structure like I mentioned a number of times and all these other things that you know for these for these smaller players and Mitsubishi you know, has lots of problems going on there, let alone the case yeah. of, of their product. So, you know, if, you like to say, if, well, if Subaru can do it, why can't Mazda? And that's, and to me, that's one of those things is, you know, Subaru, and let alone the Hyundais and Kias and what they're doing on the, you know, even more successful scale than Subaru. So, you know, it, it can be done. Um, and how did Hyundai and Kia do it? They said, well, here's this huge warranty we're going to put on them, and we're going to you know, offer these at really low prices, and it, and give this value statement, and that seems to be working phenomenally well for them. So, it's you know, it's more about just how do you present your brand uh, to to the shopper, almost more than how good those cars are. You mm. know, it's Mazda as an example.
1: Well. Uh, David Thomas and Mike Hanley of Cars.com, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show and share all this uh, information about what was uh, unveiled at the New York show and what's going on in the auto industry. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. Okay.
3: Thanks.
1: All right, guys. Take care and good having you on the show. That was David Thomas and Mike Hanley of Cars.com where you can find out more information on the latest new vehicles, auto industry news, and much more about buying and owning a vehicle. And we are almost out of time for this week. We will be taking a break from cars, trucks, and bucks for a while, but don't despair. We should be back soon with more shows that will help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle. In the meantime, you can listen to replays of previous episodes here on TalkZone.com. You can also visit my website, cars, trucks, and for news updates, vehicle reviews, and information about our next show. And don't forget, April is Read Your Owner's Manual Month. There's still time. I want to thank my producer, Dave Olson, and the rest of the guys here at Talk Zone for their help with the show. Thanks again to today's guests, David Thomas and Mike Hanley of cars.com, and thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying, be careful out there and watch out for the other guy. So long, everyone.